0: Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. (laughs) Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real scientists answer your beauty questions and give you an insider's look at the beauty product industry. This is episode 182. Wow, that many... (laughs) I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is my co-host, Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. On today's episode, we're going to be answering your beauty questions about BB Glow Facials, the safety of self-tanners, about doing your own research, and we'll look at hard water and your beauty products. But first, let's have a quick chat with Valerie. How's it going, Valerie?
1: Hi, Perry. I hear you're in New York.
0: I am. uh, Every year. They have a trade show here in New York called Supplier's Day, and Supplier's Day is a place where all of the raw material companies in the cosmetic industry gather around to show us off all their great new raw materials, so it'll be a pretty busy day.
1: I'm sad I can't go this year.
0: Yeah, well, you went to the In Cosmetics show, which is kind of similar out in, but that's in Europe. This is the the North American biggest uh, trade show for the cosmetic industry.
1: Well, that's okay. I look forward to hearing your feedback on the show. I think you're teaching a course, right? That's right.
0: And tomorrow I'm teaching a course to uh, about how to develop cosmetic products. So that'll be uh, a good seven hours of me just chatting up. <laughs> Although I heard the, I heard the uh, the class is actually sold out. There's over sixty people.
1: Wow, that's great. Well, I hope everyone gets to learn some great things. I know you definitely have a lot of experience in that arena.
0: Indeed, it should be fun. And you know what else is fun?
1: Butt masks?
0: Butt masks? You know, I first heard about these butt masks uh, when uh, you and I were in, uh, what's that uh, That Las Vegas show? Uh, Cosmoprof. Cosmoprof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently there were a lot of mask things there, and butt masks were there. So Actually, this, this topic came up, though. I was contacted by a reporter for, I, I don't know, I don't recall which magazine, but they were asking me about these butt masks, and I was like... Are these really a thing?
1: Everyone likes a toned tush.
0: (laughs) Indeed. Well, uh, apparently these are like facials, facial masks, but for your butt. And uh, this reporter just wanted to know if there's anything to these things. So uh, they gave me a few links, and I took a look at some of the products. And at least the one product, I was pretty amazed by the claim Actually, I was really just amazed that somebody would actually come out with products like <laughs> these, but then again, I'm not your typical beauty consumer, right? So anyway, I was floored by this one product they linked was called Nanette de Gasp. Uh, this product set, it's like a five-week treatment, uh, and it gives you a number of sachets, which just goes for the very low price of $175, uh, well, I, I find that just amazing.
1: Nanette De Gasp is actually a brand out of Canada, French Canada, and I've actually been following for them some time all of her facial masks, and I wasn't aware that she has butt masks, uh, but all of her facial masks are uh, very expensive. And I once rationalized, well, you could get five uses out of each mask. So that's like $25 a sheet mask or something like that. But she has a huge fan following for her facial masks.
0: Well, uh, so I guess the pricing of this thing falls right in line with the brand.
1: Now, is the 175 for each cheek? Uh,
0: it wasn't clear from the... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> ah, no,
0: I get it, yeah, yeah. All right, let's take a look at some of these claims. So there there are three main claims that she gives for this product. Uh, number one is that it's going to give you increased volume. So. <laughs> um,
1: like... Like I'd... more bubble in your booty,
0: uh, <laughs> more plumping, I guess, <laughs> more I think...
1: sculpted buttocks.
0: Right. Yeah. They they mean it gives you the appearance of a more sculpted buttocks. Uh, they qualify it by saying that it also increases, uh, gives you an increase in skin elasticity and firmness, which are just kind of things that a regular moisturizer would do too. Mm-hmm. The next claim they have is it also claims to be lifting. <laughs> And they say 80% of participants observe firmness and improved tonus, uh, whatever whatever that is.
1: <laughs> tonus of the gluteus maximus.
0: The key here is that these are just user-reported effects, which if you've just spent $175 on some treatment and done it for eight days, I'm sure you're going to start seeing pretty much anything happening, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, no one wants to think that they're a sucker that's been duped into spending way too much for a product that didn't do anything. So it's not surprising. Mm -hmm. The third claim is that they claim that the product will increase skin elasticity. And that's kind of a repeated claim of the first one. So their copywriter was kind of running out of things to say about the product, apparently. And that one's supported by more user opinion. In this case, they say 100% of people saw skin elasticity improvements.
1: I wonder how they measured that. Do people, like, grab their – they're reading this question on the quiz and, and then, like, grabbing their own butt and saying, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's more elastic skin. <laughs>
0: that's, that's a great question. I, I, I wonder <laughs> – I'd love to see that questionnaire. <laughs> so I looked at all the ingredients, and it's the, – the formula for it is pretty much shea butter, glycerin, oil, and then some film-forming polymers. Pretty standard lotion ingredients – these are also dry masks products which they kind of look like elastic bandages to me apparently they're activated by your body temperature and sweat so you you put them on you wear them and then you get the treatment
1: yeah her whole line is is the sort of the dry mask concept which i think is lent to the price i know on her facial masks you can reuse them more than one time uh, which is interesting but i think what's more interesting that now that you've decoded the ingredients is that really when you're looking at the ingredients versus the claims are being made this is a common tactic that brands use when they can't use scientific studies to generate claims data they rely on um, consumer perception studies so they ask consumers hey do you think the product did this and the consumer will answer either way And these are always tricky because on one hand You can get honest feedback if the study is conducted correctly, but on the other hand, you can also lead the horse to water and guide people to give answers to questions that support what you're trying to say. So I always take these consumer claims with a little bit of skepticism.
0: Yeah. And a brand like this isn't the only one who who does it. I see Procter & Gamble does this kind of claim support all the time too. So it's not just... That's just small independent companies, big companies do this too. It's just kind of a tactic that the cosmetic industry uses.
1: Here is an article from the UK where they created a list of eight ingredients that they think you absolutely need to know about. It was published in the Press and Journal website and they want you to look for these um, eight ingredients in your beauty products in the coming next year or so. And stories like this are published all the time because as a consumer, you have no way of knowing what to think of these things. These articles usually come from news sources, and I'm not sure what kind of news website this is, but the reality is uh, this is a website that's probably acting as a hidden advertisement, so they're giving you information that may be correct, but it's always kind of a bit misleading. So we'll go through their list of eight ingredients. So the first one is seaweed, not really a new ingredient. Always seems like the next best thing. I've been hearing about different seaweeds for a few years it always seems like the next best thing but its effectiveness is a little underwhelming compared to other skin moisturizing ingredients like glycerin but seaweed sure sounds nice
0: The thing about seaweed is it's a a resource from the ocean, and so it has that interesting story.
1: Like wheatgrass. Uh, Most people drink it. You can go to a smoothie shop and get a wheatgrass shot, but there's actually no evidence that we could find that um, applying it topically to your skin will do anything in any kind of specific way, so I thought that one was strange.
0: Even the idea of drinking wheatgrass to improve your skin, we have so little evidence that you could specifically target your skin and even hair by just what you can ingest, you know, directly to do that. Uh, It's just, I'd be skeptical of any claims that uh, drinking a little shot of wheatgrass is going to improve your skin or hair.
1: Exactly. Uh, Same thing with saffron. People claim it will firm and moisturize skin. That's the next ingredient on the list. I think that's a pretty expensive ingredient to use on your skin. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure it'll do much better than a standard um, skin lotion. I can't even afford it for cooking. I am certainly not gonna put it on my skin.
0: A saffron rice is very nice though.
1: Oh, <laughs> I'm sure. Patchouli was the next one. Um, I'm not sure why they chose this one for its effects on skin or hair because this is really a fragrance component.
0: Right, yeah. You, mm. Yeah,
1: mm. Um, Kale is the next one they say it helps deliver vitamins and I think it's probably not the best source of vitamins. If you want vitamins on your skin, use vitamins, although the case for applying vitamins on your skin is pretty weak too. You probably should just eat the kale.
0: (laughs) Right. You know, last year in my garden, I grew a bunch of kale and that stuff grows like a weed. I I was putting on kale in everything because I don't like to throw anything away.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) yeah,
0: Kale omelets, kale pancakes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it that much. Uh, number six on the list is Kakuina oil. It's supposed to be the next hot argan oil. Well, that might happen because argan oil is not doing much on hair anyway. But if <laughs> right. you look at most of the products that cocoon oil or argan oil or other oils are in, they're pretty much filled with other ingredients like silicones that are doing the work anyway. So we'll see.
0: I was really amazed. If you if you look at the argan oil pr- hair products, just dimethicone, cyclomethicone, and oh yeah, way at the bottom here, there's some argan oil. I dare
1: anyone to find argan oil in it. Right. I <laughs> dare you. Uh, the next hot oil is marula oil. It, they say it's packed with vitamins to use on your hair. Again, going back to vitamins, probably not doing anything on your hair. You're not going to get much from the vitamins themselves, but maybe there are other attributes of the oil that work as well, uh, depending on what its fatty acid profile is or whatnot. But I don't think the vitamins are the reason uh, Marula oil is going to do anything.
0: helps with the story, I guess.
1: And then the last one, of course, CBD oil, uh, which Uh, (laughs) I don't get. Uh, There's very little evidence of this stuff doing anything in beauty products. It's certainly the hot ingredient now. And of course, a lot of companies are implying they're using CBD oil. What they're actually using is the oil from the hemp seed, which is completely different from CBD. So, whatever, it's hot right now. I I know I see why it's on the list.
0: I've been contacted by, oh, at least a dozen people or entrepreneurs who wanted help getting, uh, with launching their own CBD beauty product line. Yeah. Just, everybody wants to do it. Everyone
1: wants a piece of that pie, even the biggest companies to the very tiniest companies and entrepreneurs. There's a reason I don't like lists like this. When you are making a product, of course you wanna create this beautiful story about the product, what makes it work, what makes it different, what's the magical ingredient story. And one thing that's not on this list are the things that actually make beauty products work like silicones, petrolatum, surfactants they're just not going to make a good ingredients in story. I totally get it. They're not sexy, but just to our listeners, take caution. The, this list of eight ingredients are all really nice sounding, but don't be fooled by them. They don't usually have a measurable effect on skin or hair and they're put in formulas at such low levels because of cost reasons that even if it had an effect, you likely wouldn't see it in the end product. So take this list with a grain of salt
0: absolutely well said valerie hey just real quickly i just one more quick story that i want to just mention mm-hmm. uh, because usually the usually the stuff i see in the huffington post is kind of is bad science but i wanted to give them a shout out for doing a pretty good look at the topic they asked a rhetorical question in their headline should you be afraid of aluminum in deodorant
1: Oh, I bet you thought the article was going to go somewhere else, huh?
0: I did, and the article was about the trends towards natural deodorants. There's a trend towards that, and looking at whether aluminum in antiperspirants is something that people should be afraid of. I was pleasantly surprised by the accuracy and mostly good reviews of deodorants and antiperspirants there. We'll provide a link in the show notes to the article, but the key takeaways are A aluminum in antiperspirants is not a safety hazard. There's no evidence showing that it causes cancer or that it causes Alzheimer's, so you you don't have to worry about aluminum from your antiperspirant. Now you might have reasons for avoiding antiperspirants, but safety of the product should not be one of them. They are safe. And the other takeaway that I got was that B natural deodorants don't stop you from sweating. Uh, only antiperspirants stop sweating, which is why they're considered a drug. And natural deodorants uh, just aren't really that good. Uh, if you want a deodorant or antiperspirant that works, stick to the proven synthetic stuff.
1: Well said, Perry. It's all about personal preference, so. but the good news is to know that those products are safe. Indeed. Well, let's answer some beauty questions.
0: All right, Valerie, I'll take the first one. And this one came to us from Twitter. Interestingly, we got questions this week from Twitter. We got one from Facebook. And we got an audio question. And, of course, through email, we get those too. But if you wanted to submit a question, just send an email to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. And if you want to just record yourself on your phone and send that recording, then you might get your voice on the Beauty Brains. Ooh this first question comes to us from alina she says what do you think of the bb glow facials
1: i wish you could record the sound of me placing my palm into my forehead
0: (laughs) yeah well that i I didn't know much about these products until i dug a little deeper into them and so we have to talk about this product now from what i could tell the BB Glow Facial is essentially a semi-permanent makeup treatment in which you take pigmented BB-type cream product and then you inject it into your face using a microneedling process.
1: That's where my, my palm hits my forehead, right there. <laughs>
0: exactly. So the, the pigmented product essentially is only injected into the epidermis, but below the skin surface. So over time, it's going to come out due to normal uh, skin growth and exfoliation, but it lasts through washings. Uh, it, it should last, well, your your skin takes about two months to go through the whole process of starting from a skin cell up and off your skin. So it's going to last at least that long, or it could last at least that long. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the reason a regular tattoo doesn't come out of your skin is because that's injected actually into your dermis.
1: Which is way deeper down, yeah.
0: Exactly. Uh, Now, the theoretical benefits that you get from this BB Glow Facial is that you get a long-lasting foundation, which means you don't have to put them on, and they save for up to six months.
1: Yeah, I'd like to know what the risks are, because that is crazy. I'm like, stunned. Ah,
0: <laughs> it it sounds a little crazy, and and actually, uh, that claim that it's gonna last six months, I I highly doubt it would last that long, since the epidermal turnover rate of skin is about eight weeks, as I said. Uh, I'd be surprised if it lasts more than two months.
1: Well, I guess it depends on how much it, it costs per per use, right?
0: I'm glad you brought up cost because uh, I was thinking, like, all right, how much does this cost? So so the one treatment that I saw was like four hundred dollars. For a treatment that's going to last two months by my guessing. I mean, they would say six months, but I, it's, it's only going to last two months at most. But if you think $400 for two months of foundation is worth it, that you can never take off.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, too, it's your time. Time is money. Mm-hmm.
0: I was talking to my wife about this and yeah, you know, I said, well, how do you think something like this would cost? And she's like, ah, about $300, $350. I'm like, yeah. So it's... Not not too far off, but I wonder, do people spend that much money on foundation?
1: I don't think over that time period, no.
0: The real benefit, I guess, is the convenience that you don't have to apply foundation regularly. And some people, you know, might like that convenience. But as far as other benefits go, the author of the reviews said she doesn't use as many facial products now that she had the, the treatment. Now, you don't really need to use a lot of facial products, but... So I don't know how much of a benefit that is, but I could see how someone, if, if it changes someone's routine to use less products, then they could see it's worth it.
1: Yeah. I'd like to know how much time the service takes, how painful it is and what are the risks? And that's the only way I could say, hey, is this like even worth it?
0: We actually covered the, the micro needling process way back in episode 45. So I suggest you give it a listen. That's
1: pre-Valerie. That's in the Randy days. <laughs>
0: That is in the randy days, yes. We were were much more randy back then. Now, according to the research out there, and there isn't a lot, microneedling actually can show some improvements in skin. It's said to boost collagen and elastin production, and it can help uh, reduce the appearance of scars. And in a recent review article published by the American Society for Dermatologic Surgery, they conclude that microneedling appears to be an uh, overall effective and safe therapeutic option for numerous dermatologic conditions. And they also said that the majority of microneedling studies have been case series and small randomized control trials. So more research needs to be done to determine the general safety of this procedure, especially if a lot more people are going to start doing it. And they should
1: also include in their studies microneedling, but then stuffing a bunch of product (laughs) into the the, the, the wounds. Exactly. I mean, the
0: the microneedling has been tested a lot more than this injecting thing. (laughs) Yeah. The thing that wasn't mentioned in the review paper is anything about studying these particular chemicals being injected into people's skin. And products like these don't have to disclose their list of ingredients, so you're not going to really know what's in there and whether you're going to have reactions like skin allergies or irritation or any kind of significant lasting skin inflammation. You're essentially letting yourself be a a guinea pig for this untested procedure.
1: (laughs) Now, is that because the, the fact that they don't have to disclose the list of ingredients in this because this technically falls as a tattooing product versus a cosmetic product?
0: It's a procedure done by a dermatologist or someone or, or by a professional. And those kind of products that are not meant to be sold to consumers directly have different labeling requirements.
1: Interesting.
0: So anyway, with an uncertain safety profile and the limited benefit, I'm not sure that I would personally recommend doing this. How about you, Valerie?
1: I don't think I've blinked since we've started talking about it, <laughs> so no.
0: So the idea of just injecting stuff into your face like this doesn't really appeal to you, huh? We'll file that
1: under not for me.
0: <laughs> All right, how about we move to the next question?
1: An audio question.
0: Oh, yay.
1: So before we get into playing the audio question... I just want to disclose that there's a few topics outside of hair care and hair color that I'm really passionate about. And the topic of the following question is one of them. I actually have what we'll call it a scientist crush, uh, where I have sort of followed very closely or also known as stocked the research of another scientist that has worked in this particular field. So... I'm super excited that Adrian submitted an audio question today uh, regarding this topic. Hi, my name is Adrienne. Uh, thank you for doing the Beauty Brains. It's a great uh, show for me to listen to and get awesome information on products and whatnot. My question is, I... I used to love using self-tanner until I started doing research on DHA and how it's potentially harmful to your skin and potentially erythrolose as well. I was wondering if there's any type of substitute that I can look for for chemical-wise to give me a a tan but free of DHA and erythrolose and if they are indeed potentially harmful to your skin. Thank you. Thanks, Adrian. Excellent question. As I said, self-tanning chemistry of one of those product types that not a lot of cosmetic chemists get to work on and not a lot of cosmetic chemists like to work on because it's one of the few reactive product chemistries in the beauty industry and usually you don't want your products to react. So it's a bit out of the comfort space for most.
0: And when you get it all over your hands, it just <laughs> it's tough to work with. Very
1: messy. So, DHA is an acronym for dihydroxyacetone. It's an ingredient used in sunless tanning preparations. It's also one of the key intermediates in the Krebs cycle, which is a metabolic pathway uh, that our cells use to convert sugar from food that we digest and they convert it into energy. You can get or derive DHA from sugar cane or sugar beet feedstock, but in today's day and age, it probably mostly comes from bacteria fermentation. It was used way back in the 1920s as a sugar derivative for diabetes patients and in the 1950s it was noticed that when they were using it in diabetes studies brown spots would develop on the skin of patients from the dha
0: you know i also heard that one of the ways that this was discovered that it would stain skin is that one of the nurses who was working with uh, the children who, who who had this medicine uh, when the kids would vomit, it would get some. It would splash up on her leg, and it would change the leg, the, her leg color, and that's kind of what led down to uh, researching this uh, particular area.
1: Yeah, that could be it. It could also be uh, from their mouths. I, I don't think <laughs> we'll day. ever know because I don't think they really paid close attention. It wasn't until 1959 that the first commercial self tanning product was developed for the market. Can you guess what it was called, Perry?
0: Uh, self tanner.
1: I can't make this up. Man tan.
0: Oh, man tan.
1: <laughs> Great yeah. marketing department. So yeah. for the last sixty years, DHA has sort of been the mainstay ingredient for sunless tanning. It's considered a color additive, which color additives are a class of ingredients that the FDA regulates very heavily. And it's listed in the regulations as a color additive for use in imparting color to the human body. And that was in 1973. So it's been in use for a very long time for this purpose. It works by reacting with the nitrogen compounds that are found in the amino acids in the protein of the outermost layers of your skin to form brown-colored compounds via a non-UV-induced Maillard reaction. So Maillard reaction is a Browning reaction.
0: Yeah, that's the reaction that makes bananas go brown,
1: and like when you're um, when you're cooking steaks or something like that, and you get that pan mm-hmm. searing uh, from the heat and the protein and the sugars, right? Something sure. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Sure. So uh, very simple chemistry, and this chemistry has many advantages because. Once the DHA reacts with the skin proteins, it can't be removed easily by shower or sweating. So if you apply DHA to your skin, it dries, your skin browns, and then you sweat profusely on your white sheets all night. Your sheets (laughs) probably aren't gonna get brown. It's a pretty permanent reaction. And it can actually only be removed by uh, desquamation, which is the shedding of your skin cells. So the intensity of the tan you get depends on many factors, mostly the type of stratum, corneum, the amino acid profile in there, and then the thickness of the stratum corneum. So when it's very thick at the elbows, you can get a rather intense tan. If you have a thin stratum corneum, such as certain areas on your face, you maybe will get a less intense tan. And as anyone who has used a fake tanner knows, proper application improves how homogenous the tan looks. I actually, in honor of this episode today, applied fake tanner to my legs um i don't think it worked out very good for me i'm just gonna be honest
0: i know that we went we went to vacation the last time we went out to vacation somewhere in the caribbean my wife put on this uh sunless tanner before we went to i I guess people like to look brown before they go on vacation
1: yeah you know helps build up the spirit um application is really important and to anyone who's ever used it i i cannot stress that enough so Everyone does end up tanning differently in terms of the tone of their tan. And I mentioned a second ago, it depends on what amino acids are prevalent in the skin. Some amino acids react with DHA to create more yellow tones or orange tones and only to create these brown tones. So it can be a little variable. And there's lots of other variables as well, such as the formulation most of the formulas with DHA are very simple because DHA is very reactive. It wants to react. So you can't really use a ton of ingredients in it. I once read this article about 11 simple steps to formulate DHA products and it literally was like, use nothing. Um, it was, (laughs) it was just like, cool. I, I can't use anything. Uh, but if you really follow these formulation parameters, formulating it is pretty easy so you can add some things to it to help improve the end color result
0: right because one of the problem with these is that it makes your skin turn orange if i recall
1: on some people yeah it can appear more orange or depending what your fitzpatrick skin type is but uh, you can add some things these are not approved ingredients for sunless tanning by the fda but you can throw them in there and, and say they're for other things. And one of the most common support ingredients that Adrienne mentioned is erythrolose. It's a carbohydrate that reacts more slowly on the skin than DHA, and it doesn't produce that intense of a color as DHA. And it also doesn't last as long as DHA, so ah. can't really be used as a soloist, but more the, um, what's someone called who who backs another person up on a duet? An accompanist? Yeah, it's an accompanist. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You can also add ingredients like antioxidants and some other support ingredients that can improve how DHA binds to the skin or can improve the brownness of the color, and that will enhance the appearance. And another thing that you can do is improve the stability of DHA with antioxidants, keeping the pH low. And when the DHA is more stable, it's more effective.
0: It's always a challenge to get a good fragrance for the DHA products too.
1: Yeah, a lot of fragrance components can facilitate reactions, unwanted reactions. I experience this in hair color all the time. There's some fragrance formula restrictions that the perfumer has to keep in mind when you tell them the end application so i would say i'm making a hair color or a chemist would say i'm making a self-tanning product and the perfume houses are like oh okay i can't use some of these components and i I guess they know that right right. yeah but dha the good news is with dha is that because it's been used for so long it has an excellent safety profile associated with it when you're using it for self-tanning without uv exposure Because it's regulated as a colorant, it has really strict purity guidelines set by the FDA. And some of the safety data, I was even going through the SCCS opinion, which is an opinion established by unbiased scientists in the European Union, where there's few to no allergic reactions documented in humans, no skin penetration beyond the stratum corneum, no mutagenicity or carcinogenicity in mice. Uh, But like any ingredient, of course, Um, there are some risks. And while I can't speak for what Adrienne's concerns were about the product, I'm not sure what she doesn't like about DHA or erythrolose. But the only thing I could think of is that as DHA is reacting with the proteins while simultaneously encountering UV exposure, you can't get some free radical generation. And there are some formulation techniques that can help overcome this. And of course, DHA suppliers are already well aware of uh, the free radical formation when dha as it's developing with your skin creating these free radicals they've already patented combinations of dha with other ingredients to mitigate the free radical formation and yeah. i wonder if that's also why uh, the manufacturers of these self-tanning products recommend to apply the product at night to, to get out of the sun while the dha is uh, reacting with your skin protein
0: yeah, that would make sense
1: yeah. and then um it's also important to note that DHA doesn't provide UV protection and I know that's why some people like to be tan because they think it provides more um, some protection for them I won't get into that that's a different topic uh, but also some people don't like the odor I'm one of those people that likes the odor of it it smells nice and starchy I think I think I smell like a big sweet potato when I wear it which is I always fun
0: I always it's it smells like to me like <laughs> it smells like to me like graham crackers
1: yeah I like it some people can't uh, stand it and to me it's I don't know it's neat yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Who, who, doesn't like, who doesn't like graham crackers and sweet potatoes? Exactly.
1: Adrienne's real concern, though, is she wants products that don't use DHA and erythrolose. And there are a couple other product types on the market. One, for a while there, people were creating these oral tanning tablets in the 90s, and there's absolutely no proof that they work. The alleged mechanism is that you take this pill and you digest massive amounts of color additives like canthazanin. And the additive is digested by the body and then it gets deposited into the skin, which imparts a subtle color. And the end result would look kind of like an orange to brownish deposit. So the tanning results not actually from an increase in your natural melanin or an actual browning of the skin. It's just kind of like this color additive being dumped Hmm. into your skin. So of course this has not been approved by the FDA. And you should steer clear of eating anything (laughs) to become tanner i anytime you have to metabolize something and it's depositing stuff in your body i I would just really be cautious of that
0: that does remind me of the time when i was uh, experimenting with eating carrots i once heard that if you ate enough carrots you could make your skin turn orange and so one night one night while i was at a poker game or something i ate three pounds of carrots
1: did you Turn orange. I didn't turn orange.
0: No, oh, no, oh. it didn't. Orange, you glad
1: we didn't say banana? So you didn't turn yellow? <laughs> yeah. I actually have a former co worker. Um, I used to work at this coin store in Ohio when I was in college. I was a numismatist, and one of my fellow numismatists, his wife actually went on this all orange diet. Like you could only eat orange foods, not for yeah. the purposes of tanning, but. Um, I don't know why. It was for some other health reason. And... Sure. He said that she felt like she did turn a little more orange looking, but he wasn't really sure. It was maybe mind over matter.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I like the halo effect. Yeah.
1: But... The important thing to know with the oral digestion is that when you consume anything and you metabolize it, you have to consider that there are health effects. And one company actually applied with the FDA to have canthaxanthin approved as a sunless tanning colorant ingested, and in, they actually withdrew their application to the FDA when they discovered a bunch of side effects. One of them that crystals were forming in people's eyes, and it was taking years for these crystals to go away and to leave the eyes. Yikes. So the FDA actively seizes any oral tanning tablets that try to enter our ports. Um, please don't go online and buy them. So while that is an alternative, it's not an alternative to DHA. I just wanted to bring it to your attention uh, that yeah. that does exist as a product and you should not do it. You can also use, speaking of these BB creams that you can microneedle into your skin, you can use these <laughs> apparently for tanning. Effect. Uh, They use iron oxide pigments to create a natural skin tone result, but it's purely a topical effect. There's no reaction with your skin, and it will only last one wash. I used to work at a company where they sold a BB cream, and somebody complained that they had gone out to the club one night wearing a white T-shirt, and they put this BB cream all all over them, thinking it would tan them. They thought it had DHA in it, and it sweated all over to their white v-neck and they were really upset yeah so it is temporary washes off also products with ingredients that allegedly increase your melanin production topically so imagine putting on a cream with an ingredient and your melanocytes way deep down into your skin are stimulated to produce more melanin and increase your tan Uh, there was one ingredient that was in development called methyl chromone. That was a proposed inky name. I don't know if it ever came to market. I know that it's not really actively out there. People aren't using it, but this ingredient has data to show that it stimulates melanocytes in the basal layer of the skin, so that's really far down meaning it's not a cosmetic active anymore, Uh, but they allege that it works to increase the melanin content by 43%. And the fact that this ingredient hasn't really taken off, and there's other ingredients like this on the market by many suppliers, tells me that they probably don't really work, and you can't really say they work by the way in which they are alleged to work anyway.
0: You You get that a lot with a lot of cosmetic ingredients where they imply that they're gonna do something with your skin metabolism, but if they actually did do that, they would be illegal.
1: Yeah, and so Adrian, where am I going with all of this? I think you'll see a common theme here that DHA is king in the sunless tanning sector. Unfortunately, there's not really any alternatives to it, and certainly nothing in that group of support ingredients provides an adequate level of tanning and substantivity on the skin. Uh, The last thing that I can think of that people use are black walnut oil to stain the skin. But again, I don't think you're gonna find that's as efficacious um, to DHA and doesn't have the established safety profile. And I think if you look at the risks of using DHA, if you look at your own internet research that you say you've done about why you don't like it, I think you'll see that clearly using DHA outweighs any of the risks of UV tanning or whatever adverse effects are being put on the internet about dha
0: you know speaking of that on a related it's kind of tangential topic one of the things that she said in her question was that she was doing her own research i'm always torn when i hear consumers say that they're doing their own research or even when some beauty guru tells people to go do their own research because here's the problem with that if you have no background in chemistry or science or in this case toxicology It's extremely hard to do your own research. Uh, There's so much written on the internet that is just wrong, and that is, it's quite easy to be misled and misinformed. And as a result, you start to feel bad about using a product that you like to use, you know, and then you start unnecessarily worrying about whether your products are gonna cause cancer or some other disease. And this, to me, this is gonna just make you less happy.
1: Well, it makes you more paranoid for sure.
0: Indeed. I mean, beauty products should make you happy. It could also lead you to start paying a lot more money for products that just don't work better, and even stuff that is not proven proven to be safer, right? I mean, don't get me started on all this clean beauty stuff. You know, I do agree that there is a benefit to doing your own research, but only if you do that research in the right way. And even then, you can be steered in the wrong direction, but at least you could have a chance of coming out to some reasonable conclusion. So Valerie, I thought we could provide some tips, uh, what people could do, consumers could do, when they're doing their own research and really what that means about any kind of beauty product.
1: Let's go into it.
0: All right, I'll start out with the first, first tip here. The first tip, overall tip, and this is good in really any parts of your life, but be humble about what you can actually learn. Real research is hard. There is a ton of information that's freely available on the internet, and but much of it is designed to get you to click on an ad or buy some product. And the stuff that is really interesting to read or understand is usually less reliable, right? A 200-word blog post about DHA with a snappy headline, you know, and some nice infographics, it's much easier to digest than the four-page 2000 plus word article filled with technical jargon like yeah, in the journal of toxicology letters with the title special aspects of cosmetic spray safety evaluations principles of inhalation risk assessment i started to read it it was about dha and the safety of dha and you know it it wasn't it wasn't easy to read it's one of
1: those things that you print with like a big old cup of coffee and it takes you about 10 hours to read four pages <laughs>
0: Exactly. And and we're kind of scientists. We're up on some of that jargon, right? If you're a consumer and you're trying to go through this, it's really hard. Real research means reading and understanding technical literature about studies that have been done. Your average beauty blogger or Instagram expert or YouTuber or brand owner is usually just not up to that task. And there's nothing wrong with that. We don't all need to be able to understand these things. You know, even Even some cosmetic chemists I know aren't even up for getting through some of these uh, reports.
1: Yeah, a lot of cosmetic chemists don't even read the scientific literature. They're waiting for that digestible, downloadable version of it. And that's okay, but you just have to know where to go to get the information.
0: And that leads to the next tip.
1: Look for reasonable experts and sources. So the first thing you should ask yourself, does the person sharing the information have a background that makes them a reasonable expert?
0: You know, Valerie, a few years back, there was a book called Skinny Bitch, which was really <laughs> popular. Right? I remember
1: that book. Yeah, I think I read it.
0: Yeah. And so it was everyone was talking about it. And I'm like, OK, I got to read. I, I like to keep up on what's popular as a as a science communicator. I think it's important. And I, I, I actually went through, I read the book, and I was just not terribly impressed with the information because it, it all sounded rather dubious. And then I saw that it was co-written by a former model and a former modeling agent. And I just thought, why would anybody take seriously diet and nutrition advice from people who have no background in the subject? I mean, I guess we all eat, so we have that, but that doesn't mean you should be giving out advice to people. I understand the book was entertaining, but these aren't the kind of experts that you should be looking for for education about a subject as important as diet and nutrition
1: exactly and in the beauty industry people can be experts in product usage but that doesn't make them experts in the chemistry or science of a product i would take the advice from beauty blockers about products and their experience about whether they liked using them or not or even how the products worked for them but i wouldn't take seriously anything that they have to say as a non-scientist about the safety of the products or how the products are actually working on a scientific level, especially if what they say goes against the consensus, the general consensus of the scientific community. I am a huge watcher of YouTube videos and the DIY videos. It's so much fun, but I also have to keep that narrative in perspective. So anything that Kourtney Kardashian has to say as this big influencer um, in the United States about the safety of parabens, I wouldn't take it seriously. She's not a toxicologist, but who I would take seriously is the Scientific Committee on Consumer Safety and what they have to say about parabens as an example, which is that they're safe to use in cosmetics.
0: And that's the the, the SCCS is an independent science group uh, that's responsible for regulatory advice in the EU. In the United States, it's the Cosmetic Ingredient Review Board that we talked about before.
1: Mm -hmm. And speaking of experts...
0: The third tip is that you should look for unbiased experts. When you're researching something, even if you find a reasonable expert, they might not be telling you the whole truth. When someone works for a beauty company, they can't necessarily be completely open with what they're communicating to consumers.
1: I actually have a disclaimer on all of my social media profiles that anything I say, do, think, retweet, blah, 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 is completely my own opinion and not the opinion of my company. It's really tough.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I'm in a fortunate position. I don't work for a brand or a company, so I can be a little looser with what I say. But when I was working at a beauty company, and actually when we started the Beauty Brains, we did it anonymously because our company didn't let us say a lot of different things. Often, some of these experts, in an attempt to keep their jobs or build their own product line, they kind of shade the truth a little bit to make it, you know, to make it seem like a competitor product doesn't look as good, and give you kind of a reason to use their products instead. And and sometimes uh, these experts will just downright pass along wrong information. I once, had to, I once published an open letter to cosmetic chemists asking them to stop doing this. And still, I see chemists or dermatologists starting brands or working for brands where they just pass off this BS information about product safety and how theirs is they're not using any of these toxic ingredients. And it's just, it's just very disappointing to me. When an expert is working for a brand, you have to be highly skeptical of what they're telling you that's not saying that they're necessarily lying it just means it just be really
1: suspicious and that leads us to the next point watch out for ideologues so ideologues are people or groups of people who approach a subject with a biased agenda so that's why you have to be skeptical for example someone calls himself a natural organic formulator and the information they provide you about products and ingredients may not be wholly reliable. They may exaggerate fears and ingredient benefits about other ingredients that will convince you to come to their way of belief, like organic or natural products are better. Usually this means you'll be paying more for products that potentially don't work as well. Consumer watchdog groups like the Environmental Working Group are similarly also not reliable. Again, they have a biased agenda. These types of groups are only necessary if they can keep consumers concerned about products. That's the only way that money flows coming back into the organization. So they don't mind misleading people if it keeps you scared because that keeps them in business. So always watch out for ideologues.
0: The EWG is about getting publicity for themselves, getting donations. And, you know, if you click through their website, uh, they have links to Products that they say are toxic, but they're still gonna get a kickback from Amazon if you (laughs) click through and buy. I've, I've, I've never understand how they could give a toxic rating to a product, but sure, you could still buy it through their Amazon link. All right, one more tip always be open to new evidence it's so it's easy to be fooled and it's easy to develop these beliefs that are mistaken or maybe they're right at the time but based on new evidence maybe they're not right so for example if you've come to believe that natural products are better for you or they're safer for you you've been fooled there is zero evidence for this Uh, product safety is not related to whether it's natural or synthetic it's just whether it's safe or not and in fact there is more evidence that the natural products are less safe for you in my opinion but you always must be remain open to the possibility that new information is going to change your mind about a subject in 2005 when information came out about parabens and the potential connection with breast cancer and hormone disruption It was reasonable for people to worry about these ingredients in their cosmetics. Oh, yeah,
1: certainly. Yeah,
0: but in the subsequent years, with all the research and the reports done by experts uh, who have looked at parabens and have come to the conclusion that they're perfectly safe in cosmetics, it's not reasonable now to continue to be afraid of parabens. It's not reasonable to avoid a product just because it contains a paraben. When new information comes to light, you have to be open to changing your mind.
1: So there you have it, guys. When doing your own research on any topic, remember, be humble because real research is hard. Hard to do, hard to digest. Look for real experts who have a background in the subject. Look for unbiased experts who aren't trying to sell you something. Watch out for ideologues who are pushing a biased agenda, and finally, always remain open to changing your mind if the evidence is good enough.
0: Hopefully that will help you in your quest to do your own research the right way. Looks like we have time for one more question, Valerie.
1: This question comes from Christina on Facebook. Facebook is another way that you could leave us a question. She said it would be so, so, so amazing if we could record an episode or half an episode on hard water. How can we tell for sure we have it or how to test it? Is it by pH? What to do to avoid wrecking your hair and skin too badly? Do small shower filters work? The ones sold on Amazon, for example, not the professional ones applied on the entire home system, etc. She has searched the internet and only found a short comment.
0: It sounds like it would be pretty hard to do a whole show on hard water.
1: Well. I don't think so, Perry. This is actually a pretty fascinating topic because I think, you know, hard water, soft water is, is just dipping your toe into the water. I don't, I don't mean to use another <laughs> water pun there, oh that was my. totally oh coincidental, but I think a lot of people have perceptions about hard and soft water, water that's been purified. How does it affect your skin and hair? And I actually think we could go really deep into this, but today I think we could touch just touch base. On what is hard water and what is soft water, and then maybe in the next episode we can get into other questions.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's let's uh, do a little little to do a mini dive into hard
1: water. All right. So first off, hard and soft water. When people talk about that, they're referring to the amount of metal ions or minerals coming from a water source. So it's usually a term hard water uh, to indicate that you have a high mineral content. So water from the sky, if if you remember environmental science from elementary school or middle school water from the sky falls down you mean
0: rain you mean rain
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) definition of rain water from the sky Um, It it will fall down and hit the earth, travel through our waterways and ecosystem, come in touch with different rock formations, and it's going to pick up different minerals like magnesium and calcium from hitting those rock formations. So geography, where you are in the world, and what your climate is like will play a role in how hard, putting that in air quotes, your water is. There's also going to be other components present other than magnesium and calcium like sulfates, So even if your shampoo is sulfate-free, ah, gas It's in your water. Um, Sulfates, chlorides, um, and other metals like iron and lead that have um, limitations. All of these items have limitations uh, in your tap water. That's why it goes through a, a treatment facility before it comes to your house. So a common perception is that hard water is water that's contaminated, but the contaminants that I just listed Um, Especially the minerals like calcium and magnesium are actually essential to your health in moderate doses. Even if you look at bottled water, a lot of people don't like to drink their tap water, but they'll buy uh, bottled water like Fiji. If you flip it over, you can actually see that it contains various minerals in it. And that contributes to the flavor profile and mouthfeel of the water. If you were to drink distilled water or water completely devoid of minerals, it doesn't taste good at all and long-term, it can be detrimental to your health. So you want your water to not be totally devoid of everything. You want a little hardness to it.
0: We have really good-tasting water here in Chicago. Well, in Chicago. Right now, I'm in New York. But... Here in Chicago, I, I do not mind drinking tap water right from, right from my faucet. I hate
1: drinking the water in Los Angeles, it's awful. But where I'm from in the Midwest, it's actually very delicious to drink. No one has water filters there. Well, there's actually laws, no matter where you live, how water is treated and how much hardness water can have when it leaves the water treatment facility. Hardness of water is measured primarily by the calcium content by measuring how much calcium carbonate is present if you have zero to 100 parts per million present, your water is considered soft, 100 to 200 is moderate, and two to 300 is considered hard water. Keep in mind that there's other components in the water like iron, chloride, sulfates, magnesium, other minerals found on the Earth's surface, and limitations actually can vary by your local law, but this came from the state of Illinois where you live, and I believe California is similar to these values so I think it's pretty standardized from a safety point. All of these things that are found in hard water are called dissolved solids and we can actually measure the total dissolved solids at our home by using a total dissolved solids meter and it's called a TDS meter for short. I have one in the lab and I actually have one at home and uh, it's a little meter that kind of looks like a something you would take your temperature with, and you plunge it into a water sample, and it spits out how many parts per million of solids that it can detect. So it doesn't necessarily identify each individual mineral, but just the overall content. And if you are less than 500 total of miscellany items, that's considered satisfactory. So when it comes to washing your dishes, doing laundry, soft water is typically better because there's no mineral deposits left behind you know, when you're washing dishes and doing laundry, you're trying to get stuff off of it. And it just loves to crust up on those items. Or um, in your bathtub, you can get uh, soap scum, which is a result of the magnesium in the water reacting with different soaps. But when you're washing your hair, I don't believe that soft water is beneficial over hard water in all cases. I mean, again, if we're talking like well water, where it's like, Dang, don't drink that unless it's treated. Uh, you know, that's one thing, but I, th- I think typical tap water, I don't believe that soft water is beneficial uh, because when water is softened, you're not just taking stuff out, you're actually exchanging those other ions we talked about the calcium, the magnesium, you're exchanging them for other ions like sodium and potassium, and those have effects too. And that's what we're going to get in, into in the next episode.
0: Well, that sounds fascinating, but looks like uh, time's up here today. Thanks everyone for listening. If you get a chance, please go over to the iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, that'll help us uh, show up more in iTunes search and help other people find the show.
1: Also, follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at the Beauty Brains 2018. On Twitter, we're at the Beauty Brains, and we have our Facebook page.
0: And we're also on Patreon. So if you su- want to support the show, Patreon is the best way to do it. This will help us, and it'll also help uh, keep owe us from putting in any of those pesky advertisements that uh that i I just find very tough to listen to with my other podcasts that i like i mean i love i love i listen to lots of podcasts but what i really love is when the commercial comes on i can just skip
1: ahead (laughs) yeah (laughs) and we don't want to do that we want to keep it free
0: exactly so if you want to keep the beauty brains ad free go to patreon.com slash the beauty brains and subscribe Well, that looks like uh, that's all I got here, Valerie. How about yourself?
1: Nope, that's it. I want to thank everyone again for listening. And remember, be brainy about your beauty.
0: Thanks, everyone. Kittens.